On today's show, the long-awaited Trey Young player capsule is here in two parts. Myself, Glenn Willis, talking about Trey Young in a deep dive fashion is on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1543 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday here at the tail end of August. And as I always do at the top of the podcast, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and make us your first listen each and every day here at Lockdown Hawks. Please check us out places like Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And today's episode is myself and Glenn Willis. So it's part one of two that you're about to listen to right now. But it's the Trey Young player capsule. We've been teasing it for quite some time. Always fun to talk to Glenn about the really anything with regard to the Atlanta Hawks. We did an entire player capsule series earlier this summer. We held Trey to the very end, and uh, that is now being delivered to you in two parts on today's podcast. So by the time you listen to this, part two should be available as well. This is part one to listen to right now. And without any further delay, we'll dive into Trey Young right now. I am joined now by a friend of the podcast, frequent guest of this show. Glenn Willis is back. It's late August, Glenn. How are we feeling about the uh, dead zone of the NBA season? Because, you know, look, there's people World Cup stuff happening now. There's, there's live basketball on. We're back, kind of. Yeah, and I think you know I enjoy the WNBA. So you do. There. In fact, I'm prioritizing that over FIBA, although I'm kind of following along with FIBA, I would say, more so. And, um, and such. So it's, you know, there's basketball out there, but it's, uh, I think for most people, it's kind of like, you know, things you can kind of opt into when you have the time. I, I'd love to five years from now to see the WNBA be in a different place where that's something that we're all consuming all the time because it's great basketball. But but it's uh, but people aren't used to that type. That, historically, that's not how the broader public has consumed basketball. So it's going to take some time. But I think that's where I hope. But uh, and, and on top of that, like once the see once the NBA season gets here, like any liberties we're taking right now with you know <laughs> other hobbies or whatever are dead. So you got to kind of find, find some time to enjoy some things that you maybe you can't enjoy in the regular season too. So you got to be multi-dimensional during this time, I think. Yeah, that is uh, without going off the rails too much. That's one of, that's pretty much the reason why I don't cover the WNBA. I still like to watch games and, and I do watch. It's just that if I cover the WNBA, I would never, ever, ever have any time off because I just yeah. don't have, I already don't have time off now, but it's just, I couldn't add another thing to, to the plate as far as oh. full-time coverage, but you know, yeah. it is. And, and there are times I want to opine on Twitter, but like there are people who make, that's their thing. That's my problem give, too. And I want to like, give them space, you know? Yeah. I have. I also have like I have opinions of like I'll watch. I'll watch the dream in particular. I'll have some opinion. I'm like I'll catch myself like you know what I am not the most informed person on this topic. I'm going to lay off <laughs> on this. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we've uh, I've asked you back on. Uh, for those of you that missed it, I, we should just say Glenn and I spent a lot of time together earlier in the offseason. Glenn was gracious enough to give me a ton of time. We did a full on player capsule series and honestly with the exception of John Collins is no longer on the team. Everybody else we talked about basically is still on the Hawks roster. So. I encourage folks, if you miss those podcasts, to dive into them at your leisure between now and opening night in October. But uh, we famously put one off until we couldn't put it off anymore, I suppose, as we're back here in late August. And that was Trey Young, which is what we're going to be doing today. Because, you know, look, the way that I said it was, you know, we kind of just it was that it was a timing thing. And I said, look, Trey's not going to get traded. We don't have to. We didn't have the same urgency. Everybody else on the roster, I, I was like, it's conceivable that they could be moved between now and then. Trey, I was very, very confident that he would not be traded. There wouldn't be any huge changes to him in particular. So here we are 
finally getting into Trey Young. And uh, we, let me just say, I, I heard you all calling for it. I saw I saw a few people there were like, hey, what happened to Trey? I'm like, I didn't forget. I didn't forget. I promise you guys. And it wasn't Glenn's fault. It was me pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. And it's time. So with that said, we know Trey Young's very good, Glenn. Uh, I'll just ask you this broadly. Last year was his age 24 season. It'll be 25 pretty soon in September. Uh, where are you at with the Trey Young experience? And of course, we'll get into all of the different facets between his individual game and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I have said it seems like Trey, you know, the discourse is kind of strange about Trey to me in recent times. I feel like it's kind of crazy that Trey's almost undervalued. But uh, where are you at with the Trey Young experience now? Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, sorry, he's, he's a really fun watch for me. You know, he's, he's a unique talent. There aren't many guys that can do even on offense 75, 80, 85% of, of what he does. His passing acumen is unique. You know, it's funny when I was prepping for this, I, I went and just grabbed a few random names and looked their age 24 season from Chris Paul to Steph Curry to Kimball Walker, even Darren Fox and others. Just kind of see like a statistically kind of where is that falling and, you know, he, he measures up impressively, you know, kind of to that group. Now, after Steph's 24 season, age 24 <laughs> season, he became the greatest shooter in the history of the league. So that's, that's, probably that's good, like, yeah. put, put that caveat there. Um, but, you know, for me, the way that I watch the game, um, oh, one more thing before I get that. The other thing is the, the, everybody loves to debate, is he the best passer in the league or who is the best passer in the league? And, you know, I, you know, Luca is a great passer. LeBron is still a great passer, even if LeBron doesn't want to expend the energy to be have as much usage as he's traditionally had his whole career. We understand that. I, I don't care like where people rank one, two, three, four. Like to me, comparing Jokic to Trey is like comparing like a pitcher yep. in baseball to a hitter base. Like they're just two <laughs> different things, right? Trey Trey can't pass out of the mid post or high post way, and Jokic can't run high volume. P and you know they're just different species almost of, of basketball. So throw that one aside. But you know he's. If anyone that wants to make the case that they think Trey's the best passer in the league, then I I'm not going to mock that, you mm-hmm. know. So so that so that's there. I think for me, the the question about kind of what can the peak of his ascension be comes down to really efficiency as a scorer, right? And that and that's where we have to really kind of see where Trey wants to go from here because he took a bit of a step back last year. We could talk about. They, they loved isolation. They loved uh, long possessions, isolation, <laughs> like mid-range isolation. You know, there's all sorts of kind of things that played into that. And I think we're going to talk later on about how Quinn's philosophies might alter a number of things like that this year. But for me, when I think about Trey, what I love to think about is where does he go from here developmentally, right? That's, that's what I'm interested in. And for me, it's like I don't really have questions about him running a pick and roll or passing or getting to his floater or or any of those sorts of things. But how does he probably at this point incrementally become more efficient as a scorer? How does it become more effective? How does it become more selective in really smart ways that kind of really help the team across games or across the stretch of games? And that's what I want to see. But that's like, I don't know, 20% of it. 80% of it is can he start to move the needle in areas that really impact winning, right? And I'm not here to say Trey has not been contributing those areas. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying as he enters his age 25 season, and as I think he's mostly maxed out on his passing and 80% maxed out on his short kind of scoring kind of effectiveness, to me it's like defense, decision-making, 
scoring situation, it, these things that the greats, the all-time greats, uh, that's where they start between age 25 and, say, 28, start to really put their energy toward. And that's what I'm really interested to see this season is how Trey starts to maybe put a lot of energy into those areas and now being probably the right time for him to, to really shift that way. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. And get ready for the NFL season right now with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, if you're a new customer, get bet $5. Get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed at FanDuel. And plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV right now. FanDuel has point spreads, over-unders, money lines, player props, futures, and much more. The app at FanDuel is very safe and secure, and they cover the entire range of sports they're looking for in the sports world, of course. That includes places, uh, you know, sports like the NFL. Of course, college football, NBA, WNBA, MLB, college basketball, golf, tennis, auto racing, soccer, and much more. It's all there at FanDuel, and now is the best time possible to join FanDuel. It's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season right with an offer that you don't want to miss. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. That's a really good start, and I, I, obviously we're going to go through a lot of different topics. Uh, and honestly, I'm pretty confident Glenn and I can talk for three hours about this, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> it's probably going to be multiple parts, but still. Um, so it, it's weird because all of that kind of falls into, you know, last year was seen, and I, I said the same thing, I, and I, I think it was kind of, kind of a down season for Trey, kind of. He wasn't bad. I, I'm not saying he was bad. And I've said it on a few shows, I know with Nate Duncan and other, like if you asked me if that was an average season, above average season or below average, I probably would lean to below average for Trey, which is, that speaks to how good he is, number one. But I think he, I think he can and probably will be better than this moving forward. But it's crazy when you said it because he averaged, you know, if you look at the counting stats, which we don't spend a ton of time on, but 26 and 12 last year, I'm sorry, 26 and 10, that's huge numbers. Nobody really does that. Um, he led the league in total assists again. He's been top three assists per game for four straight seasons, all that stuff. Like he, he obviously was hugely productive, but you touched on efficiency and um, we, I, I definitely want to get into that because that is really the, the main reason why I would say he wasn't up to his usual standard last season. And it was his, his efficiency was down and look, he wasn't an old school chucker. I mean, you, you remember like there were, there were guards 10, 15 years ago that, might have got 20 years a ago game for me, 25, 30 or years that. <laughs> but there were there were guys before, like the let's just say the analytical kind of boom started that averaged a lot of points, but they kind of got there on a pretty ugly shot diet and a pretty ugly efficiency number. That's not Trey, which I think people talk about him like that. It's just not true. Like he's perfectly solid in efficiency. Even last year in a down year, he had 57% true shooting for the season, which is I would say above average for point guards. It was actually below the league average, which is interesting. Like this is not a, a full NBA podcast for right now, but um, the league average was the highest it's ever been last year in true shooting, 58%. And that was a little bit of an outlier. For reference, by the way, you speak about 20 years ago. I actually pulled this number exactly 20 years ago. The league average true shooting percentage was 51.6%, which would be seen as ter- pretty bad now. Like that's that's outwardly bad. And that was the league average 20 years ago. So anyway. All that said, they, Trace, they, lo- they loved the post twenty years ago. One, yeah, less less three, <laughs> you know, less threes, more all the stuff that we talked about ad nauseum. Like that's why, but you know, that's that's where we are. So, um, we could get into shot profile, and I do want to talk about that a little bit. But uh, just some more nuts and bolts numbers th- to throw out there. He had his worst three point shooting accuracy since his rookie season, and actually, interestingly enough, his fewest attempts per minute of his career from three in year five. And then he also shot 47.6% from two last year, which was his worst ever mark. 
as a professional. Now, he's still an awesome free throw creator and free throw shooter, so that kind of buoys your efficiency, which, by the way, does matter. Don't focus on field goal percentage, everybody. I promise you that there's, some, there's a place for that, but his free throw creation does matter. His free throw shooting does matter and all that stuff. But I say all that. We can get into kind of how he got there, but um, he was not as efficient as he was in previous years, and I think that uh, you sort of teased it beautifully earlier about getting into it like with what the new office is going to look like, but Last year, as this kind of what this focus is mostly going to be on, you know, it wasn't ideal. Like he he wasn't quite as good in certain pretty much every single area, other than like his floater was pretty similar to previous years, but he just wasn't very efficient. And I wonder what you made of that and like how much of that is him and just like kind of a rough a rough patch, how much of that is situational and team context, because I think we people listen to us before it's never just one thing. It's always little, it's always several different things, but what did you make of the fact that he was just not as efficient as, as efficient as he was in the previous two or three years? Yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny because I want to put this in context, like Steph's age 24 season, 582 true shooting versus 573 for trade. Steph was 22, 22, nine and, and 6.9 assists. So you can look at uh, Chris Paul's, I, I pulled Darren Fox, Kimball Walker and, Trey's is like basically right in line, uh, true shooting percentage wise, and way up on the counting stats, way way higher in the counting stats. So, nothing to be ashamed of. I think, I think the reason it feels uh, like it was a down year, and it was uh, uh, underwhelming in a sense in terms of his ability to kind of produce efficiently, because he's he set his own standard so high, right? Right. And and that's that has to be kind of accounted for. We know he can do better. Go back to your question, why? Number one, I think spacing, spacing, spacing. One, mm-hmm. two, and three, spacing, right? Yep. We've talked about the fact they went from second in the league in spot of efficiency to 29th in the league in spot, spot of efficiency between two years ago and this past year. And you can go back and watch just random samples of trade trying to get to the middle of the floor, and there just being a whole lot more traffic. And then on top of that is fourth quarter numbers. I mean, his – need to work harder quarter one, two, three to kind of get to his spots, to get to the shots he wants to get to that all showed up like in his fourth quarter numbers as well. Um, and so for me, I, I chalk it up to spacing and then the offensive philosophy, um, you know, under Nate don't always want to be going back to kind of this explanation, <laughs> we have but to, he though. really, but attack the mismatch, attack the mismatch, attack the mismatch. That is not what Quinn wants at all. We're going to talk about that later on. So I don't want to kind of jump ahead too much. But I would chalk it up to kind of those things, right? His mid-range pull-up volume was, I think, for a guy who has the skill set he has, was out of balance. And what's a little bit interesting to think of is that's where DeJounte excels. And so did the Hawks kind of, in a macro sense, kind of shift philosophically towards some things to accommodate DeJounte and a byproduct of that was Trey kind of getting sucked in a little bit to into that kind of model as well. They're different players, and they're going to generate efficiency in different ways. Trey should be able to generate efficiency at a higher level, all things counting, right, be accounted for and stuff. But I think a part of it was, you know, there was a spacing, and then I think another part was there were shifts to kind of accommodate DeJounte. And I think Trey, I can remember the first, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 games of the year kind of being surprised at how accommodating Trey was to Mm -hmm. DeJounte, right? And I think that had an – I feel sure that had an impact as well. So that's, I think, what kind of got the ball going down the path it went down was kind of those roster changes and plus the offensive kind of schematic adjustments 
to try to kind of give DeJounte the opportunity and the type of um, uh, creation um, uh, scenarios that works for his skill set. And it swung it, I think, in some ways, kind of pretty well away from where you, where you want it to be portrayed. I totally agree. And um, I'm sure that we'll get accused by somebody of making excuses for him. But it, it, I mean, the, the lack of spacing at times, especially early in the year, was very stark. You know, pre-Bogey coming back, um, I actually pulled this number earlier. Um, first 11 games of the season for Trey, he had a 51% true shooting in the first 11 games. And after that, his final 62 games was about 58.6%. So basically, if you just took the first month-ish away, to your point about the accommodation and kind of the early kinks being kind of just worked out between the two of them, once that kind of settled in, Trey was more like his old self efficiency-wise for 60-plus games. Like That's a very large sample. Now, I know that's arbitrary, but it does kind of make sense in the narrative that you just described about him being accommodating. And look, he still is a high-usage player, no question about that, but he did have his, his lowest usage and since he was a rookie last year, which makes sense. You have now, for the first time in his career, he had a guy next to him that was kind of worthy of taking some of that usage away from him, but it was still the lowest it's been in four years. And he was, um, I think part of that, not to psychoanalyze Trey, was that, you know, he he did push for the trade. I mean, I think he was very open about that. And I think he wanted to make it as easy on DeJounte as possible. Um, Nate, it's offense kind of caters a little bit more to that anyway. Um, so it's a little bit of all of that stuff. But um, I found that interesting as well, especially since you brought it up, like the fact that he, he really did kind of, once he got it, he kind of was pretty normal after that. It wasn't like it was always the same every game. And that's maybe the nature of a lot of guys, but especially someone like Trey, who, who is reliant on free throws, who is 6'1", 180. It's not going to change. Um, he's a little bit more prone to being a little bit more hit and miss efficiency wise than other players, other stars, I should say. Like he's not going to be able to be as consistent, you know, making, you know, half of his shots from the field as someone like Giannis. You know what I mean? It's just not they're not they're not, they're not playing the same game. So it is what it is. But I wanted to get into that a little bit more with this. Um, I know we talked about this a lot during the season. I want to bring it up again now. You reference it too, and that's where he, it's where it's where he takes his shots from. Uh, to back you up, he took 49% of his shots last year from floater range or mid-range. That was a career high. Basically, half of his shots were not at the rim or not from three. That whole area in between. Career high number there. That's usually not great. He took a career low percentage of his shots from three-point range last year, which I talked about earlier in terms of like volume, but even just percentage of, of attempts. His threes went down, his mid-range went up. And he didn't shoot terribly on mid-range shots. But the previous year... We talked about this a lot. Like he basically became KD from mid-range two years ago, 52% from mid-range. Like that's not sustainable for really anyone other than Kevin Durant, basically in the league, maybe Devin Booker, like that kind of guy. Uh, and this last year, Trey shot 41% on long twos. Now, I think he's better than 41% on long twos as far as like a true talent level. I think he's more like what he was the previous year, which is like 45-ish percent. That's not a small difference. That, that accounts for maybe a lot of the efficiency drop. But when you when you take more long twos and you shoot 10% worse, that's going to hurt your efficiency. It is what it is. And the three-pointers too. So I, I, I'm going to avoid doing my whole diatribe about Trey, take more threes. And that's the whole thing. And I think Quinn, honestly, is going to fix a lot of that because he's been preaching that to everybody who will listen about everyone, not just Trey. But how much do you account – how much do you sort of attribute the efficiency stuff to maybe um, – the system, I will say the system, not the words Nate or not the words Trey, like just the overarching everything. Like how much of that do you attribute to that or how much is like preference and performance level? Because I tend to think the most natural version of Trey, just 
takes more threes than he took last year and less 18 footers. And maybe that balances out a little bit along with a true talent bump that he has. I think it was a, a lot of it. I still think it's secondary to the spacing challenges that were I tend to roster last year. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, as I think about the season he had two seasons ago, and as I've watched Trey, I, the, the media narrative out there, and I, I don't mean to say that in a, in a way that <laughs> sounds no. so negative, right? Your right. national media has a job to do, and, and they're going to attack from their business model and all that stuff. Steph, 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 Steph. And, and there's, for me, Steph's defensive template, when we talk later on, there's a lot to consider there for Trey, right? Offensively, as you've seen Trey growing his game, it's clearly he's kind of using the Chris Paul template, right? So two years ago, he was very effective when there was better spacing, driving right uh, you know, right of the nail, and kind of getting down to the right mid post, say one step below the three-point line, kind of in that right elbow area. When you watch Chris Paul play, he has about three spots on the floor he's trying to get to for his mid-range shot. And he works those spots over and over and over and over. He's not letting the defense drive him into this other uh, spot where he doesn't take these shots. It's a very engineered approach that Chris Paul takes. And if you watch Trey or recall watching Trey two years ago, Trey was getting to his spots, the spots he wanted to get to two years ago, right? Last year, there was a lot of him getting pushed away, pushed in a direction um, other than the way he wanted to go. And that was about defensive traffic because of the lack of shooting on the floor. And then a little bit of a weird spacing issue when you got Trey plus DJ plus Clint or something along those lines, more Jalen minutes start to kind of show up. And that was that's a factor as well. And that's a part of why the, the spot-up efficiency wasn't as good is because they were playing more um, – Average or below average shooters, right? We'll, we'll, we'll say, right? Um, and so last year, Trey just could not get to his spots, right? And so a thing that I watched, even like I'm looking for, even when we get to see the play in the preseason game, is is it back to where Trey is getting to those spots that he wanted to get to two years ago? Because last year, the defense was kind of picking his spots for him or forcing him to spots that they were happy to see him take shots from. Yep. And that was a, had a massive impact on results. Trey just could not get to his spots last year. If a listener wants to be like, Hey, that's on Trey. Trey should do better. Okay, fine. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. But whatever. Right. Right. And, and, and maybe there's, you know, I don't know some of that, but it's a team sport, you know? Um, but, but, you know, I, I think if you want to be critical when the defense pushes him to a spot that's not his spot, is taking the shot the right thing to do, right? Or is there another kind of alternative? I don't, when you have less shooting on the floor, it makes it a little bit harder. But I, I, I want to try to give a well-rounded dis, dis discussion to, to, to make sure that it doesn't sound like I'm suggesting Trey has no responsibility here, right? right? When Chris Paul can't – and now Chris Paul has played whatever number of years in the league now, right? But Chris Paul can't get to his spot. He has a plan B, then he has a plan C, Right. And he kind of goes from there. That's why I'm thinking that like 80% of my evaluation for Trey going forward is if Trey can't get to those one or those one or two spots he wants to get to, is he going to kind of get pushed back into a 21 foot pull up fadeaway, you know, jump shot from the you know left side of the floor, right? Or is he like, no, I'm going to attack with a plan B or attack with a plan C? That's what I'm curious about seeing this next season. That wasn't there last year, as best I can tell. And, and part of that, I think, was the, the lineup construction that he was a part of, right, and all that sort of stuff. The other part is I, there is still room for him to mature and grow and advance. And, it, and a lot of it is, in the me, to, in my view, 
player B, player C, player D, that the greats, the all-time greats, eventually develop. I think he's kind of at that point now where coming into his age 25 season, that's where the investment. I, I, I'm interested and curious to see if that's where the investment is. And if the, and thus, not only is he taking better shots as a result of Bay being on the, on the court with him, Bay and Bogey being out there together sometimes to really help him against aggressive defenses, et cetera, but also a trade just kind of continuing to add, continuing to add. And to me, that looks like plan B, plan C, and like you normally see with the more kind of mid-career elite point guards. That makes sense to me just as a, as a general, you know, it's not even a maturity, but just, just seeing, just seeing it again and again and again, and the experience level. And um, I, I do think not to go back to this a little bit more, but um, I think if you simulated last season and gave him the exact same shot attempts again, he would be a little bit better on them. I, I believe as like a true talent level, again, baseline, but he, he does have to make some shots. Some of that's on him. We're not saying otherwise, but I, I do agree with you. Like, the combination of maybe the system and also the lack of spacing, um, I think contributes for the majority, the vast majority probably of, of maybe the issues. And even again, again, the bar is so high that like, we're talking about him. Like he's had this bad. He wasn't even, it wasn't like he was bad again. Like he, he still he was very efficient and very good. Once he got in the groove last season. And just by the way, I know we're, to, we're you and I are talking about this sort of as in shorthand about how they had less spacing last year. I know that was seen as controversial, like, but especially pre Bay, there were times last year where the shooting was just undeniably worse around him. And that's not just DeJounte. That's, you know, losing Kevin Herter and Danilo Gallinari and, and replacing those guys with DeJounte Murray. Bogey missed the first, what, month of the season. Um, Collins just kind of forgetting how to shoot. That, that combination of, of, of those three things, especially pre-Bay, and also playing Jalen Johnson, who was not a non-shooter, but kind of close to that for part of last season. I know AJ played, but he was a, in a very small role. So, um Undeniable, and there there are metrics about metrics. I'm, we'll save the time to do that now, but um, it is not like our opinion. Like they just did not have as much shooting on the court last year. It was just flat out. And then also you throw in the fact that they have non shooting centers. Uh, I know Congo was developing there, but they basically had non shooters at center as well. Yeah. So all those things. Um, that's not on him, but it is part of the evaluation. And yeah, I I really do look forward to seeing what it's going to look like and sort of what the answers are. Um, and again, I don't mean to boil it down as simply as I sometimes have to in this form about like more threes, less mid range. But I, I do think that that's going to happen, and not just for Trey. It's going to happen. For, I think it's going to happen for Dejounte. I said, I said that recently under Quinn. I I would project that Dejounte sets an, another new career high in three point attempts, like he did this year. By the way, he took more than he's ever done. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you heard as much as I did with Quinn when he came in, I mean, it was every single press conference. He was very open about, we want these guys to shoot more threes. Like it was not, this is not my opinion. I mean, my opinion also is that that they should shoot more threes, but I'm just passing along like this staff, this organizational philosophy now is much more geared to that and sort of pace and the value of spacing in a way that, you know, I'm not saying Nate doesn't value spacing because like he's not as much as we might refer to him as, as like this old school guy. Nate understands that you want space on the court. He's not, it's not that simple, but it was just the way that they went, went about it. And I think Quinn, if you watch, all you have to do is watch, even if you want watch back to Utah, but as, much, as soon as he came in, the value of spacing, having more guys, more guys on the court that, that can space the floor together. And uh, I think that's going to kind of just turn a lot of the lights on, to be honest with you. Um, I, I do want to get, uh, we're spending a lot of time on offense, and I, I promise yeah. we're going to do that. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, it's one of, there's so much nuance and we don't have time to get to all of it. But well, I, that's the thing. One, we, we could do three hours. We really yeah. could. <laughs> just, just one more example. Like 
Trey's three point volume, right? Yes. One of his favorite ways to, to generate threes is, and, and he saw a lot of switching last year, right? More than ever in his career, in my, in my assessment, right? Trey, when the opposing team is setting up the switch and they leave a pocket and kind of don't get up and, and really kind of tighten up the space there, he loves to pull a three against a soft, what I would call a soft switch. Yep. Does that all the time, right? And you think about like, is that the highest percentage shot? You know, probably not like a, no. a pull up three, right? But but th- but think about kind of the other dimensions to this. There's two guys looking at Trey when he takes that shot. You have a huge rebounding advantage, right? And that's part, I'm sure that's part of the calculation. Now here's what we have. To- it, it, he said that too. He he has acknowledged yeah. that in interviews. Like some of the shots he takes is when he can kind of. And he's by the way that kind of basketball genius level guy who can actually think about it that fast and right. be like, hey, we we have a pretty good chance of getting this rebound if I launch this right now, especially with Clint on the court in particular. Like it's that that's that is part sure. of the calculus. And that's what we have to kind of kind of fast forward a little bit and think about. So lat, you know, prior to this point, if you had Clinton John on. Fire away, right? Or this past season, in some cases, if you have Clint and Jalen on, Jalen's an awesome offensive rebounder too, right? Yes. Maybe even a little better than John, you know, yeah, in, this in terms point, of yeah. his range. In terms of his range, right? Fire away. You got Bay at the four, and you know, Yucca at the five. Like the 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 calculation shifts a little bit now. Yucca is a an above average offensive rebounder. Yes, but but if you have Bay and Yucca, uh, you know, at those positions, and that's where I think the calculation has to change. So, so I want listeners to kind of keep in mind when he's shooting against a soft switch, it is a very calculated decision he's making. It's not just, oh, I want to get this shot up, right? It's calculated. But the other part is what good teams do, right? And this is where the Hawks have to continue kind of evolving towards <laughs> more good habits is when Trey takes that shot, if he misses, good teams realize long th- missed threes are great run out opportunities for the opponent right Mm -hmm. so you have got to get that rebound if you can't get that rebound no score in time if you're halfway through the third quarter and you only got two team fouls take a foul going for that rebound (laughs) you know side out get back and so there's a lot that the whole team has to kind of factor in those situations and in my view when i watched the team play last year i didn't see that type of shared mental kind of collaboration across all of that right and so if Trey takes that three, oh, we only have one team foul, eight minutes to play in the second quarter, let's be super aggressive going to get a hand on that ball, a deflection. If we take a foul, we take a foul. That's all fine. And that's where Trey's genius, like the 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 whole like the team approach around him has to step up, right? Sometimes it's with some players it's there, with some players it's not. But in order to maximize Trey, it's not just Trey getting better. And Trey, I know, wants to get better. I trust Trey to get better. We'll yeah. talk a little bit later on, like one of the most important areas, I think, for him to get better. But that's just one example. When he takes that shot against the soft switch, it's not just whether Trey makes it or not. It's whether the team is acting upon the scenario, the situation, the time, the score, the lineup advantage or disadvantage, and going from there. That is like why I love the NBA. It's like things like that to kind of think through a, a secondary decision point, a tertiary decision point, and from there – there's a lot too. Like, like I mean, you could do like a whole ten part podcast on Trey's offensive game in that sense, and what has to happen around them. That's just one example to kind of build out for to, for listeners. It's not just Trey. It's not just like, oh my god, he missed that shot. He you know, clanked the you know pull. There's a lot that goes into those decision points, and sometimes he can do better. Sometimes the team needs to do better situationally around that too. 
I think it's a great point. And, and something I actually saw in this, I, I forgot to say earlier, is that um, be, like it or not, believe it or not, however you want to put it, um, there are different rules for the number one guy on any roster. And that, that, that includes stuff like efficiency and shot selection. And look, there are shots that I would describe that Trey takes as not great shots, but he, he should be given and is given leeway. The other guys are not given. And I think that's also part of carrying a 30 plus percent usage rate. If you can, as he has every year since he was a rookie, if you can maintain average or above efficiency on that level of usage, that's very hard to do. It's not, it, it's not, and that's not like just me trying to butter up Trey. It's not, there's nothing to do with that. It's the fact that he's going to take some shots that for anybody else on the team, including DeJounte, would be bad shots. It, it is what it is. And you can, you can argue about whether that's a good shot or not, but part of it's what you just said. I'm glad, that's what reminded me is that a situation is a great example of it where there are other factors in play, but even when there are not, Trey has earned the right. And I think uh, across the league, you see this with, especially in particular, pull up threes. There are guys who are given the green light on that shot. And if you just do the, the, the very simple math of, hey, 33% on this shot and whatever, that doesn't always work out, but it also bends the defense. He has to be guarded out there in a way that guys are not guarded out there. And that's a, uh, it's, it's one of those like simple, but also nuanced points that, you know, for better or worse, Trey, Trey's going to have the, the ultra green light. And I think that he, he gets. I'm sure you've seen this too. He gets discussed like he takes like 10 of these terrible shots a game. And it's just not true. I, I mean, he might take a couple. I'm sure I'm sure if you go through every single game last year, I could find a shot that I didn't love. You know what I mean? But it's not like he takes half his shots that are just terrible. It's not, that's not what it's not what this is. And um, I guess one more thing about efficiency while we're here is three point accuracy ratings. I always see this from people that are trying to build the anti trade case. Well, he only shoots 34, whatever it is, percent from three. The way that I would put this is, no, Trey is not a Steph-level shooter. He's just not, and that's okay. But Trey is a much better shooter than his three-point percentage indicates. This is the way that I would I would frame that. If you For gave sure. Trey uh, a normal role player shot diet from three, he would shoot a very good percentage on those shots. It's right. that he's taking harder shots. And again, you can argue, and that's fine, whether he should – but the reason why he doesn't shoot 38% from three every year is because of the shots he's taking, not because he can't shoot them. Like that, There is a little bit of interesting point of, uh, of conversation there, but I, I find that to be maddening when it's like, well, he's not that great of a shooter anyway. He only shoots this from three. I'm like, okay, I get it, but like you got to see the shots he's taking and the way he's guarded and all those things. Yeah, agreed. He's not Dame Lillard. He's not Steph. No one's Steph, right? No. Yeah, we could kind of go from there. And, and I mean, from really long range, he's – Probably the closest into that kind of theme, you know. But we're he's talking about yeah. 40, 40 shots here. I don't know what the number is. Like, you know, is a is that material? Whatever. I mean, it, right. I, it, I guess it matters in that he does. It's kind of funny. I'm sure you watched even as much tape as anybody. It's funny how how high he gets picked up. Like yeah. not even someone like Dejounte, who's a really really good player, was an all star two years, all that stuff. He doesn't get picked up forty feet from the rim. No. Trey Trey can't cross half court without somebody yeah. on his hip. There's just yeah. there's never anybody not there. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. We could break that down for 20 minutes too. The teams don't want him to get his angle, right? No. He can pass from anywhere, right? On and on and on. So it's not just the shooting, but but the thing is, is like when Trey does draw that attention, right? Do you have other people on the floor that can attack a, an over leveraged defense or a, a defense that's tilted towards the top of the floor? Do you have Do you have enough ball handling, right? Well, that's when we talk about Hunter plus JC. We talked about that for when there, God it feels like eight years. We talked about that, you know. <laughs> And and yeah. then with, with a non-handling big like Clint, right? 
And so, and so it really matters to have that type of skill distribution than the other four players that can attack that. And I think, you know, when they had Gallo, Gallo, Gallo really made a lot work. Like Gallo was like made in a lab to play with Trey on offense. Absolutely. Right. Yes. And it's, it's going to be super hard to kind of even find that one more time during Trey's career, you know, perhaps, you know, everybody, everybody like would love to have Brooke Lopez now, right. Cause he can defend on the interior on the defense. They can shoot from anywhere. Not, right. There's just, there just aren't many of those things, but you know, Jalen's ball handling Bay shooting. So the, the roster has shifted and Yaka is, I think, a, a developing ball handler. We'll, yeah. we'll see how much the shooting comes in one year from last year to this year. I think two, three years from now, he's going to be a reliable cor- corner three shooter, if not before then. But I, I think I'm trying to manage my expectations being too high. But the mix, I think, coming into this year gives them a lot more to work with, specifically if Jalen gets a lot more opportunity to play with Trey to attack with his ball handling and passing skills. And so, you know, Trey. I think demands more attention, you know, and with this lack of spacing last year, teams loaded up in the paint. They loaded up in the middle against him. But so it's on the the Hawks kind of as an organization to put the right kind of players around him that can take advantage when defenses do load up against Trey. And, you know, year two, you if you'd asked me, Glenn, is Trey going to ever learn to get the ball up when he gets double teamed or trapped or blitzed or whatever? Like it was a real, that was a fair question. Now he does it consistently, Right. You will find times in the fourth quarter, less than five minutes at a close game, he forces something. All of the great players feel like they need to be the one to make the play in that situation. If you ask me, like, if someone's out there saying Trey needs to get better, like, to me, it's like clutch offensive possessions where his decision making has to get better, his trust of his teammates have to get better. Hopefully, with a kind of a uh, a different type of skilled lineup around him, that that's going to kind of help him be more comfortable kind of giving the ball up later. But I, I think he, if there's one area to kind of really look at Trey and say, this has to get better. It's late game, you know, clutch situations, him not feeling like he absolutely has to be the one to make the play. We think back to the Tony Snell game winning three, right? It's like more of that, right? More yeah. of that in late game. If you've got a Tony Snell type on the floor and, you know, Sadiq Bay is absolutely that kind of guy who can knock down that shot after rotation. And so there are definitely things where Trey, it has to get better, and I think it. And I think some of those areas really impact wins and losses in close games, and and that's where as he enters approaches his age twenty five season, that's kind of where all my focus is right now. All right, that is part one in the books with myself and Glenn. Part two is available in your podcast feed of choice right now. So please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts, places like YouTube, of course, on the video side, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Please subscribe there. Tell a friend about the show. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter slash X at BT Roland. Patreon.com slash BT Roland for written content as well. Again, part two should be available for you right now. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you all next time.